First of all, I have a bit of a confession to make. The scripture that was read this morning, and I'm kind of hoping I'm not the only one to whom this applies. Maybe I am. But um, I kind of, for a lot of my believing life, has had a hard time believing that the scripture we just read was true. Sorry. Um, I've asked God for many things that I didn't re- receive. And I read like in John 4, 14, 14, he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So I remember when I was a young believer, I said, okay, I'm going to try that out. So one day I was in my dorm studying, and there was a fly buzzing around, kind of distracting me, so I couldn't concentrate on my my work. And so I boldly, in the name of Jesus, commanded that fly to stop bothering me. And to my shock and surprise, it did. I was going, whoa, this is, this is pretty cool. So I decided to up the ante a little bit. And... Um, try it again and this time that it was a really big big jump of faith because i had a crush on steve and steve was like the cute guy around you know i there was really not much chance of him taking notice of me but i was going to give it a chance so one night i was working at my retail sales clerk shop store a job sorry and I prayed in the name of Jesus for Steve to walk into the store that night before it closed. And I had every confidence that Steve was going to walk in and walk into my life. And he didn't. So I figured, oh, it must be me. There must be something wrong with me. I'm probably not praying properly or I don't have enough faith or, you know, some, some reason to, that, to make it figure that it didn't work. But in retrospect, I realized it really wasn't about the quantity or the quality of my faith because when I asked God to quiet the fly, I had absolutely no faith that it would happen. It was more of a wish than a prayer, really. And when I asked for Steve to come into the store, I had total faith that Steve was going to do it, and he didn't. So I have to um, try to figure out how to make sense of what Jesus says and what my life experience is. And maybe some of you have a common experience in your life because this has this pattern is repeated throughout my life, and so I have to try to um, reconcile what Jesus says with, with my life. So it's, I do know that praying in Jesus' name is not like a magic wand. You know, you, you don't wave it and then you get your wishes granted. And I um, do know that God attends to our deepest prayers, our truest prayers. God pays attention and draws close to us in those moments. So I'm going to hopefully unpack from my own lived experience, unpack these ask, seek, and knock promises and instructions from God. So let's begin with a, with a continue. Let's continue with a word of prayer. Loving God, we give you these moments and we pray, Holy Spirit, that your spirit will enliven the hearts of the people here whom you love and that you will Order my thoughts and my words so that they are tools in your hand to bless your people. I ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at ask, seek, and knock. And then we're going to um, kind of sum them up, if you will. So um, first we're starting with ask. That's probably appropriate since that's the first one that is mentioned. And um, so we're going to look at ask. And when the Old Testament prophet put down his pen, God's active voice became silent. There's no recorded direct communication between the holy and humankind, between the last words of the Old Testament and the advent of the Messiah. And according to John's gospel, when God finally opens his mouth, the first words out of it were, what do you want? 
Jesus asked this same question in one form or another throughout the Gospels, and he still is asking it. God cares about what you want, because what you want, ready for this? What you want is what, you, what makes you you, and God cares about you. Your desires are a door through which Jesus can walk into your heart and encounter the true you. And it says in Psalm 51 that God desires truth in the inner heart. So if we're going to talk with Jesus about what we want to have acquired in our lives or in our world, we need to be really honest about what it is we really want. That's kind of the first note. And um, what I, I'm going to illustrate um, this from an incident that Jesus had with some of his disciples. This is what I mean when I say you have to be very true about what you want. James and John were two of Jesus' closest disciples. And one day they came up to him and said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we... Actually, they called him Rabbi. Rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And so Jesus says, okay, what can I do for you? And they say, well, when you come into your kingdom, can you arrange it so that one of us gets to sit on your left hand and the other one of us gets to sit on your right hand? And so they started this conversation with Jesus about what it is their hearts wanted. And quite honestly, I kind of think that was a pretty selfish <laughs> request on the, on the part of James and John to, you know, want, want to um, share the glory and have the honor and fulfill the role of being Jesus' second, second and right and left-hand man. But it didn't um, stop them from coming to Jesus with that request. So that suggests that the, whatever the request is, we're welcomed to bring it to the Lord, to bring it to Jesus. And so what we need to do is come to Jesus with our heart in our hand, basically, and say, this is what I really want. We don't have to pretty it up. We don't have to make it less. We don't have to deny we want it because it doesn't feel very spiritual. That wouldn't be a very true and a very authentic conversation. We need to come to Jesus with our real, true self. And um, then ask, allow the Holy Spirit to probe a little bit in our hearts with some questions about that thing we're asking of God. Questions like, why do I want it? What, what's underneath the desire? What will this acquisition satisfy in my life? So I'm going to give you an example from my, from my life. And this is real live, real live right now. What I want right now is for this sermon to be a blessing. So I ask myself, by the, with God's help, why is, why is that important to me? Why do I want that? And I think there's two answers to that. One is because I want to bless God. I want to be, pleased, to be a pleasure to God and be obedient. And the second is, and this is kind of a little bit of an uglier <laughs> underneath desire, is um, I don't want to feel a fool. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to feel like, I want to feel like you guys ha- will have a higher opinion of me because I've been here. My ego wants to have some sort of strokes on it. And that's why I want the sermon to be a blessing. So you'll be impressed and go, yay, you know. Ah. So that's not very pretty, but it's real, <laughs> you know. So I ask myself, why are those two values so significant and so important for me? And, well, the first one about pleasing God, that kind of feels pretty true. You know, God did create me as his delight, and he favors me. And so to bring him pleasure is something that is right in line with what God would want for me and for um, our relationship. On the other end, I, the part of me that wants to be impressive, I recognize that underneath that is um, an insecurity 
that needs to have external validation to make it feel bold and make it feel approved and make it feel valuable in the, in, for God and for the world. And the thing about both of those, when you get down kind of to the gut of what you're really, what that desire is revealing, is that both of those things are what God wants for me. God wants me to be a blessing. God wants me to have a sense of acceptance and approval and a sense of being valuable for the kingdom. Those are all things that are in line with God's will. And so uh, the prayer that I have prayed as I've thought about this morning is, Lord, I do want to bless you. I do want for you to look on our service today and smile because I chose to be obedient and accept Dick's invitation to come here and share the word. And, Lord, I also want you to touch the part of my soul that's wounded and broken that needs other people's approval rather than just yours in anything I do. So, Lord, hear my prayer. Amen. Um, The raw desire, way down underneath all the surface desires, if you will, is um, always going to be something that we were created to experience that God wants us to enjoy and, and have. And they always our surface desires, if you will, always point to a beyond, something beyond our this world and this life that can only be satisfied by God. I have some examples about that too. So, but first, back to the conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus basically tells them, "You don't know what you're asking," <laughs> because they they told them what they told Jesus what they wanted right then and right now. But they only had a small part of the picture. Jesus had the whole story. They, it's okay to come to Jesus what we, with what we want here and now, but it's also we have to remember that we don't know the whole beginning and end of our life story or of the world story. So Jesus gently reminds us that, um, trust me because I know what you need more than you do. So what happens when... Um, when, when our desire or the thing we ask for isn't realized, we learn something about ourselves, and we also learn something about our relationship with God. First of all, like for instance, this is a really silly example. I told you a really kind of deep, dark example. Here's a silly example. Um, after church today, I think I'm going to want a hamburger because I really want a hamburger. So I w- that's what I want. I want a hamburger. <laughs> and so Jack and I are going to talk about it, and... Um, what if Jack wants a salad? And I, when, and so we decide to eat a, a salad instead of a hamburger because it's healthier, blah, blah, blah. And um, then I have to face the fact that what I wanted wasn't realized. And what comes up inside me is I go, oh, how come I never get a hamburger when I want one? Oh, I'm so selfish. I want what I want when I want it. And I want a hamburger and I want it now. So even whenever you come up to something where you're gr- request isn't realized, um, watch how you react to it. And then that is what needs to become the food, the, the um, meat of your prayer. Say, oh my gosh, Lord, I'm used to having my way. I'm selfish. I'm prideful. I mean, I also I'm broken. And I'm beautiful too. But uh, in this moment, that's the part of me that needs to be, again, touched and healed by the Lord of love. Um. So when we stay in this conversation with Jesus, when our request isn't realized, it forces us to look beyond the request to the nature of our relationship with God. You know, is God a vending machine? Is God there just to service my needs? And if God doesn't come through, do I take my ball and go home? 
Or does the silence that sits there between us when I ask God, say, for a hamburger and it doesn't materialize, is that silence help me to realize that, well, God knows me better than me. And if I trust God, and as we sang this morning, if I trust that God is a good, good father and does perfectly toward me, if I can trust that, then maybe it's not in my best interest to have a hamburger at this time. And so then I can, like, let it go, right? And I can continue on and enjoy the salad or whatever it is we we have. Um, So this place of openness to God's will is very liberating because otherwise I would be resentful and angry and hating the salad I had to eat. Um, and it le- leads to a maturing faith. And I, this phrase I want to say more than once because I think it's really the key to the ask. Um, not using God to get what we want. Rather, wanting God to get what we need. Not using God to get what we want. Rather, wanting God to get what we need. That's probably the key to the ask Going to God with what your heart really wants and then trusting that God will give you what you need. That's ask. We're moving on to seek now, for those of you who are keeping track. And when I say seek, I think the key to the seeking is to cooperate with grace to put ourselves in a place to receive the answered prayer. Cooperating with grace so that we're in a place to receive the prayer that God answers. And there's a character from the scripture that really illustrates this. It's Familiar, very familiar guy, Bartimaeus. He was a blind baker sitting by the side of the road in Jericho, and he heard, you know, he was probably begging for alms, but he heard Jesus was coming through town. And he heard Jesus approaching, and he heard a crowd following him, and Bartimaeus started getting really noisy about trying to get Jesus' attention. He started sh- shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me! And all the crowds tried to quiet him, but he would not be silenced. He kept vocalizing his need. He kept vocalizing that he wanted Jesus' attention. He was seeking to, to be in the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus stopped and said, let him come. So it, I kind of have a funny picture in my head when I think about this because Bartimaeus was blind, right? But Jesus says, come. And it says, he threw off his cloak and ran to Jesus. And I'm just picturing this blind guy, you know, (laughs) stumbling over rocks, trying to push people out of the way just to get to Jesus. And when he did get to Jesus, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do again? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see again. And Jesus had mercy and granted him that request. Now, Bartimaeus wasn't always blind. Something transpired in his life that robbed him of his sight. His blindness physically broke him and reduced him to the role of a beggar. Yet in his spirit, he retained the memory and the experience of being a person of consequence. From the crowds, all he sought was a few alms to feed him for the day. That's all he sought from them. But in Jesus... He hoped for more than just a few alms. He hoped for mercy that would uh, change his, the nature of his life for an eternity. And you and I, oftentimes, we look to the world um, around us for a moment's relief from our brokenness. When what we need to do is look to the source of mercy and the source of love to address our broken hearts. So he hoped for mercy, and I think that's probably a good thing for us to hope for as well. And I, I like the, these definitions of mercy. Mercy, the quality that looks beyond the present reality to the original intended plan of God. 
Mercy looks beyond the present reality to the original and intended plan of God. And the thing about mercy is that originates in the caring heart of the beholder, not in the pitiable state of the one that's seen. Bartimaeus begs Jesus, please don't see me how I am now, a blind beggar in need of alms. See the real me, the one that I was meant to be, a person restored to wholeness and healing. Remember who you created me to be and help that be realized in my life is one thing we should seek from God at all times. Bartimaeus sought a way to let Jesus heal him. He didn't let his blindness keep him broken and on the side of the road and in the role he had been assigned. He didn't let the crowds keep him quiet. He found a way to put himself in the place where his prayer could be answered. Bartimaeus sought, and he was found and was found. And in my own life, um, well, God has created each of us to not live independently. God creates us to live interdependently, to be in relationship, to love and be loved, to know and be, and be known. And one of the things our church community provides for us is that very um, fellowship in that community that we are, were created to experience. And anybody who knows me knows my big complaint about moving to Ulster County is I haven't found such a community locally. And I, I, I complain and moan and a word that starts with a B about it all the time. And, uh, and uh, then earlier this year, um, I had the sense that, the, that Jesus was speaking to me about this. And I, and I felt like I was the um, sick guy sitting by the pool. And for how many years that guy had laid in there? And what pool was that? Yeah, but, uh, yeah that, that pool. And uh, Jesus comes up to him and says, well, do you want to be well? And then the, the guy goes, well, yeah, but there's nobody around to help me into the water when the water stirred. And I felt like Jesus was saying to me, Debbie, do you want a community? I go, yeah, well, the church is here, blah, 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 blah. You know, I had all these blames and all this kind of storm going around in my head why it wasn't being, why I wasn't being ex- experiencing what I was created to experience. And Jesus, as he said to that mat, said to me, take up your mat and walk. If you want a community, you need to do something to put yourself in the place of grace so that prayer can be answered. So I, this was scary, but I got a list of about a dozen women that I had met who I thought might be interested in such a gathering, and I called them or talked to them. And on Tuesday, eight women are coming to my house for a Bible study and fellowship. And so I, it's just, I sought it. I was hungry for it my whole my whole experience, and I just was blaming. And instead, what I did, what in effect, what happened by the power and grace of God is I became the answer to my own prayer. So I sought, and it's been found. And pray for us on Tuesday. <laughs> this is a very broad range of women who have um, some who are very committed, like evangelical Christians. Some are Catholic. Some are just kind of spiritual. So we will see what happens on Tuesday. Maybe I'll report on Saturday when, I, when we come back together. So that's seek. Put yourself in the place of grace in the flow of grace where, where your prayer can be answered. Then finally, number three, knock. Now, did I ever tell you, some of you may know this, that when I was in college, I sold Bibles door-to-door in the rural counties outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I would go Bible, sample Bible in hand from house to house, knocking on strangers' doors, hoping they'd invite me in so I could give them my sales pitch and make a, and make a sale. I realized in doing that that knocking is a very vulnerable position because you don't have any control. All you can do is rap on the door 
have your hope ready, have your, uh, your pitch ready to go, and it's all on the other person, whether they open the door or not. Uh, and yet, Jesus tells us to knock. In fact, we must knock because Jesus has told us to. So we bring our needs to Jesus, and then it's out of our control. We wait for Jesus' response. And Mark tells us the story of one such vulnerable and trusting man. This, a leper came to Jesus. I'm going to read the actual scripture. It's Mark 5, I believe. Um, a leper came to Jesus begging him. And kneeling, he said to Jesus, if you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. This knocking business requires a lot of vulnerability and it also requires a lot of humility. And this leper, I think, was a model of humility. He did not let his disease and the societal norms that went with his diagnosis prevent him from approaching Jesus. He knew, oh, excuse me, he knew he was sick and he knew he was in need of healing. And he came to Jesus and begged for cleansing, yet gave Jesus permission to heal him or not. He says, if you choose, he goes, this is what I need. And if you choose, you can do it. He acknowledged Jesus's power. He acknowledges Jesus probably had a a will. You can do it if you choose, the leper said. Quite honestly, this leper is my hero. (laughs) He told Jesus exactly what he wanted, and yet he detached himself from whether or not he received it. If you choose, he said. Jesus was moved with compassion, with pity, and he stretched out and he touched the man. And Jesus even mimicked the man's language when he healed him. He says, I do choose. Be clean. Jesus speaks our language. So we come to Jesus with our true heart's desires, and we knock at the door, and we wait. And then we kind of follow Jesus' example in the garden where we say, Lord, this is what I want, but not my will, your will. A very vulnerable, a very trusting place. That is what it means to knock. James and John were bold in their request to Jesus because they had this intimate relationship with him. Bartimaeus was bold because he was energized by desperation. And the leper's trust in Jesus' power made him bold. So I think it doesn't matter what your motive for approaching Jesus is. They're all equally welcomed. And Jesus will use whatever brings us to him to find a way to love us deeper, love us better, to shape us into the image of Christ and prepare us more readily for heaven. Um, So my encouragement is to run to Jesus with your desires, with your heart's desires, because you are welcome in his presence. He longs to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? So that's ask, seek, and knock. And then there's that, what we now know is the golden rule, which really doesn't need a lot of unpacking. It's like so, so much in the spiritual realm. It's very simple to understand, but not so easy to pull off. And I'm just going to read you Eugene Peterson's tr- uh, translation of that verse to kind of just give us a picture. Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for your behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's laws and prophets, and this is what you get. So as I finished this, I 
you know, a postscript. I thought there was a little cleanup to do about this asking, seeking, and knocking business. Because if our prayers appear unanswered, I have three, there may be more, and these probably aren't complete, but three reasons why that may be the case. The first is that, as James talks about in his book, the fourth chapter, the third verse, you ask with the wrong motive. You ask to satisfy your own pleasures. So if you ask for something and it's not realized, that takes you back to the, why do I want this? What's going on inside me? What will this do for me? Is this really what God would want for my best? Will it bless me, bless the world? Will it increase the love in the world? You know, so you kind of go back and let the Holy Spirit examine your motives. Second, if your prayer appears, and notice I say appears unanswered, God's still working, you know, God's not off the job. And I think this is really helpful, especially as those of us who pray for um, the salvation of loved ones, that we have prayed for them for years and years, and we kind of go, God, please, God, they're getting old, or whatever it may be. When is this going to happen? Or the health of a loved one, you know? Um, God is still working, and um, we have to just keep holding trust in that reality. And then the third one, and this is the point of the key biblical truth, God is continually responding to your deepest prayer and your deepest desire. Not your strongest desire. Your deepest one. When you told God you wanted in on this kingdom life and that you wanted to be like Jesus and you wanted to be prepared and ready for heaven, God took you at your word and is now doing whatever is necessary to, to answer that prayer. That is our truest, deepest prayer that God always attends to, that all God is always listening for, that God is always doing whatever it takes to have realized in our lives. So if your prayer appears unanswered, it's because God is answering your heart's deepest prayer. Um, so, again, we are to ask in faith. We're to ask, seek, and knock with the truth of our hearts, and then pray, thy will be done. Amen. Thank you so much. I'm done.